welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Canon with Elliot Gilson, co-founder at Royalty Advocates, coming all the way from the desert, yep. Scottsdale, Arizona. Is that right? That's right. The heat. The we left heat. 119 last week. But it's dry, right? As everyone Relatively to say. Dry. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Dry. It's like, oh, and then that makes it totally fine. Yeah, yeah. So 110 probably feels like 110. Yeah, it does. And honestly, I think I'd rather take 110 and dry than like 95 and humid. Like, 100. Like Houston, you know, it's pretty. Yeah, it's the hard. humid is tough, and it's interesting because when it's hot, it feels hotter, and when it's cold, it feels much colder. Yeah. Like yep. I remember being offshore, and I mean, growing up in Canada, of course, like you know, minus 30, 40 is like standard, right? Like you can manage through that. When I went offshore and it was like maybe it's like Celsius wise was like maybe like eight degrees, which is like T-shirt weather back home. And it was so it was like the first time I realized that humidity could just they always say, oh, it'll cut right through your clothing. And I'm like, whatever that means. Yeah, no, I felt every bit of that eight degrees. And then here even, too, it's like I feel like you can't put enough clothes on when it's humid and cold. But back home, you throw on a nice sweater, jacket or something, and it's minus five, you're good. Yeah. So I can appreciate the dryness as well. Yeah, it's definitely nice. But sometimes during the summer when it's like being in a sauna all day, it gets kind of tough, right? Because you got to go from house to car to office and back. I mean, it's essentially yeah. our winter, right? You can't like do too much unless you're out at like five in the morning. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, kind of similar here. And does like everyone there has pools, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. We have a nice pool too. And good for you. I think it'd be tough without a pool because when it's 119, but you're in like an 80 degree pool, it's still manageable. But yeah. without a pool, it gets a little tough. You start <laughs> baking real quick. Yeah. No kidding, man. So do you live in Scottsdale or is that where you're from? Or So I live in Scottsdale, but that's okay. not originally where I was from. Yeah. Okay. So before we get going where you're from, so I have quite a few buddies from back in Calgary who love Scottsdale. Mm. Like I love Vegas. My buddies and I, we've all been to Vegas a lot. I have not been to Scottsdale, but my buddies there say the nightlife and partying oh, in yeah. Scottsdale is almost better than Vegas. Would you say that? I always consider like a small Vegas. Like there's a part of Old Town, right, where there's just a bunch of clubs and people everywhere on the streets. It's like a very mini kind of concentrated version of Vegas, but I think mm. it's it's pretty close. Minus the casinos, which we do have, just not in that area. Yeah. But you're if you're looking for a good time at night, yeah, Scottsdale. Cool parties <sighs> and yeah, there you can have a real good time. I should have come to Scottsdale to record this and taken advantage of that's the true. nightlife because that's right up my alley. And also you guys host a really cool golf tournament, the waste management yeah, golf tournament, yep, right? The waste management. Have you been to it? I went one time through my wife who through work got us tickets. We were right on the sixteenth hole, you know, where they set up like the huge no like way. party and we were oh. like in one of those VIP suites just what? looking down on it. It was awesome i would oh. highly recommend going but it, yes. it can be tough to get in yeah really because especially yeah. on the 16th hole like 
there's a lot of people that want to be there. That's kind of like the Super Bowl of parties. Like everyone that I talked to, a lot of folks in oil and gas end up going and, you know, just blowing it out of the water. Again, I have not gone, but it's one of those. It's kind of like the Calgary Stampede. It's like you got to go at least yeah. once. And it may not be something you do again and again, but. I mean, if you like golf, it's really fun. I mean, yeah. it's like a party to watch golf, which I, I love golf, Amazing. but sometimes watching it can be a little, you know, yeah. a little dry. For sure. Okay. So you golf. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Okay. You've been golfing for a while. For a while. I wouldn't say I'm great. I'm like very much the two or three times a year type player whenever I go with my dad because my dad is obsessed with golfing. So okay. it's like a, a fun activity we do together. But Good for you, man. Yeah. You know, it's nice. It's it's cool. Actually, my daughter's five and my son's two. And I'm almost at a point now where like I want to take her with me. And I try and get out as much as I can. I mean, being in sales, it's it's important to you know be good at something that you can do with customers. So I'm trying to get better. But It'd be cool. Like I see on, yeah, you know, I'll go on Fridays and stuff like that. And I'll see dads with their kids, like get to yeah. drive the golf cart, get them to swing a little bit. So I think that's cool that you and your dad get to do that. Cause I, when I'm older, I would like to do something like that with my kids and just have that time. Spent. Well, and it's so important too. I think like teaching them when they're younger makes them, you know, they'll have a great skill set, even if they don't play continuously. Like I took yeah. a lot of lessons, but then I didn't play continuously, but I can kind of pick it back up whenever. Really? See, that's a, that is the really neat thing about it. And there's, it's, there's a lot of folks that I play with that had played like said, in high school or like when they were younger, it's kind of like riding a bike for them. Like they're like, Oh, I haven't played in like eight months. And I'm like, oh, okay, you're not going to, and then all of a sudden they shoot <laughs> like a, think an 89. Right. Like what dude, like, how do you do that? Like I play yeah. every week and I'm shooting like 106. Like <laughs> nice. what's going on here? <laughs> But anyway, yeah, I don't know. I definitely have those days too, so. Right. No, I think everybody does. But no, that's cool. So Energy Technic, you were there last night. How yeah. was that? It was awesome. That was the first one we went to. It was packed. Like it was. I was. That was crazy. That was an awesome event. Like some of the speakers were really great and kind of hearing about what other companies are doing in the energy space was awesome. But yeah, it was honestly a great party. It, like, was. it was really cool. Yeah. I, I did not expect that many people or yeah. kind of that level of energy and like I think everyone post-COVID, you know, is just so ready to come out and yeah. talk to people and just see kind of other people in the space. So yeah. it was the first event I did of that size. So walking in was a little bit like, oh, but then it was fine. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. It, yeah. There's so much pent-up demand. And yeah. so I know Jake and Colin and the rest of the gang put it together. They were, I was talking to, I think, Stephanie, and she said they had like maybe, I want to say, and I may be getting the numbers wrong, like maybe 150 or 200 people signed up, but then it ended up, and that was like on Monday. And then here we are on Wednesday and all of a sudden like 500 people were there. So they, you know, they reached the, you know, the amount of people that they were hoping for and then some, which was phenomenal. And then, yeah, just a lot of folks that, you know, like I've gotten to know through during COVID over LinkedIn or, you know, other social media platforms, whether podcasting. And so finally get to meet someone in person. It was like, yeah, we've known each other for like a year and a half. We've never seen each other. And so it was just neat to get everyone together. Like you said, the energy was good. And just a lot of people coming out of COVID with just great innovation, ideas, technology. And like Colin said, when he was on stage, it's just like, you know, they're trying to really sort of rebrand and bring something new and edgy to oil and gas because it's historically been conservative, you know, and, and you know, I think people would agree a little stuffy, but when, you know, them and, and even OGGN and a bunch of other folks out there really doing a lot of great stuff which speaking of OGGN we've got an event tonight yeah I don't know if you guys are around but we're having a pretty cool event and it's here at the Canon it's sponsored by Hewlett Packard which is going to feature a panel discussion on cloud enabled applications so two nights back to back I'm pretty pumped I haven't done a two night back to back you know event in a long time so Houston is definitely back in action, which is great. So anyway, obviously this is going to be released way after we have the party. <laughs> but for folks out there, if you're interested, I know OGGN, 
We're planning on doing, you know, more regular events to get people out and about. I think Digital Wildcatters are also doing, they're going to, I think it's going to start doing stuff pretty regularly as well. So just a lot of activity happening, which is neat because there's a lot to look forward to in energy over the next few years. And beyond that, nobody knows, but I'm pretty bullish on the next couple of years. Yeah, no, that's definitely a lot of fun to do more like social things, especially again, after like the past year, you know, like just any opportunity to go out and talk to people and kind of see people face to face and learn what they're doing is I think hugely valuable. Yeah, no, exactly. So do you come to Houston often? We come once in a while. Yeah. So, you know, through for work and things like that we do, but mostly a lot more kind of in Dallas and Atlanta and those areas, but Houston once in a while. Okay. So why Especially during the summer, kind of try to avoid if we can. (laughs) It's pretty odd. (laughs) So you have a lot of like customers and stuff in Dallas. You said more so Dallas. Yeah. So one, because of our, you know, the investment that just happened. So they're based out of Dallas and, and Gainesville. But, ah, okay, uh, which we'll definitely touch on that. Yep. And then we do also have like customers and people in Dallas that we interact with a lot more. Perfect. Because we're, you know, being on the mineral side, like we, the Midland kind of Dallas area, we interact with a lot of people there. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I was just in Midland. I got back yesterday, actually. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on Midland? Like as someone from Phoenix, obviously it's like another world yeah. or Scottsdale. But yeah, what are your thoughts on Midland? Like, I what should is, like, let Jared talk about that because he was born and raised in Odessa. Oh, he was? Oh, yeah. no way. So he grew up his whole life in that area. So he loves it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> we'll let him decide and, and afterwards, which the audience won't be able to hear it. But I don't know. Um, we go to like Katie's Barbecue and stuff, which is like oh, yeah. super good. And Yeah. So there's a place I went and had a smoked old fashioned and it was downtown called Bear With Me because if the listeners are out there and you go to Midland, you have to check this place out. So I know I'm going to bore people for a sec. And so hold on. My buddy Chad Gregory brought me there and he is one of the funniest dudes on the face of the earth. He's an ex-drilling engineer. Now he works for Intrepid. And shout out to the Intrepid crew. All those ladies and gentlemen are such a great party. And actually, there was some Roy Strawn. I don't know if you met him. He was at the party last night. Buffalo Nickel. Great spot. So if anyone's in Midland, check it out. Smoky Old Fashioned. You need to try it. And if you try it, let me know how you like it. Because I thought it was pretty good. What's your favorite bar or restaurant here in Houston? So we love Anvil. Like we go oh, there yeah. every time we Anvil's come to Houston. Great. We were actually there last night after the techno. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. so cool. Next time you come to Houston, hopefully we can grab a drink there because that place is awesome. I love like kind of craft cocktails like that and yeah. just the vibe in general, kind of like a little bit darker and with those nice like leather booths. Yeah. yeah. It's a cool place. It is. It's awesome. One place I want to try, it's called Space Cowboy. It's a little like north, kind of actually somewhat close to where we were last night. But if you're looking for somewhere that's different, I haven't been there, but I've seen it on Instagram, of course. And it we'll looks have pretty to check cool. it out. Yeah, Space Cowboy. So is Phoenix right now is pretty much open too, or Scottsdale? Like, what's life <sighs> like up there? Closed. Was it ever closed? So you guys were just pretty much like, ah, whatever. I mean, it's Arizona, great nice. place, but. I mean, yeah, mostly all open now. You know, like if you go to Old Town, kind of like we were talking about before, there's crowds everywhere, people next to each other everywhere. But yeah, yeah mostly all open. So we started going to restaurants again and kind of doing a little bit more than cool. just staying in the house because we live pretty close to Old Town. So we can like bike around and check oh, it out, sweet. which we kind of missed out on last year. So we've been trying to do that more. But gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. No, that's pretty cool. And speaking of Phoenix, do you watch basketball? Yeah, the Suns are. Dude, they're crushing it 2-0 yeah. right now, yeah. right? Yep. Against the Clippers? Yep. I mean... Do you think they got a chance to win it all or? I would say I hope so because the other like Phoenix area teams are like the Diamondbacks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Not great. So Haven't it'd be had good to get a win. It would. No, I don't think I've really paid attention much to the Phoenix Suns since Steve Nash was yeah. there. Yeah. And like, of course, he's Canadian. So I 
cheer for him. Right. But yeah, they're doing so well. It's yeah, so we cool went to, to the Suns game. I think like last time was like three or four years ago, and they played against the Cavs. And okay. when LeBron was there, yeah, it was not pretty to watch. No. <laughs> it was cool to watch LeBron. Yeah, that was awesome. But it was not cool to get probably annihilated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, uh, that's that's okay. All right. Well, before we keep going, I do want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Their new and integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the WellPad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about all the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. So you're in tech. I'm curious, how are you innovating this year, whether it's business, marketing, personal branding, aside from what you your core business is, is there anything that coming out of COVID you're like, you know what, like we're going to flip the script and we're going to do this or I'm going to do that. Does anything come to mind? Yeah, there's a few things. So kind of one of the biggest ones centered around like computer vision and like OCR and stuff. So what is OCR? optical character recognition. So it's like, you know, being able to pull stuff from old documents. Right. So one big problem, you know, whether it's in this industry or healthcare or whatever is being able to accurately grab words on a page and digitize them and then being, you know, parse them and being able to do something with that data set. So, you know, a lot of people right now, like, send it off to India or wherever and they have people hand enter it. Even banks still do that, right? They send it to India, they hand enter them and then get keyed in their systems. But one thing that we were working on and would love to get more into is kind of that aspect of things because just the sheer amount of documents that come through make it such that like, you know, using OCR and machine learning as well, which, you know, kind of massive buzzword now. Everyone likes talking about AI (laughs) machine learning, but, (laughs) um, you know, implementing a lot more kind of processes centered around that to grab huge data sets from documents. Would you say in, in your space, what percentage of overall, say, documents are historical documents where you have to manually do that kind of stuff? Like, oh, is, a it a, is it because yeah. I mean, for years, decades, where probably hundreds of years, it was all paper, mm-hmm. handwritten even. And then we got to typing. Now it's a lot of it's digitized. But I mean, digitizing things really I would say we're still somewhat in the infancy stage if you yeah, look at it on a macro level. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of going back to that, like that would be pretty fascinating if you could like at scale take like thousands of documents and pump them through something, whatever, and then digitize it, right? Would that... Yeah, yeah. That would, yeah so especially for us, there's a lot of like, call it, like leases, right, that are super old from the 30s that were either handwritten or written on really old documents that when they you know, try to scan them, it doesn't really work super well. So trying to get that data is like kind of a, right now it's nearly impossible just because no OCR, whether it's like Tesseract, which is, you know, kind of Google's open source one or like Amazon's text track, like have a lot of trouble kind of pulling and parsing through that. But it's usually Mm -hmm. important because, you know, in the oil and gas industry, it's been around a long time. Like a lot of documents, especially on the mineral side are old. Yeah. And if we can't parse that, it, then it requires a lot of human intervention, which obviously is cost prohibitive. Oh, it takes yeah. a lot of time. And right. as we all know now, kind of data is, you know, rules a lot of things and being able to grab that data to effectively do something with it, whether it's, you know, helping people manage their minerals or whatever is very important and helps it be a lot cheaper, a lot faster than what it, what it's wow. been. That's fascinating. That. Huh. I can imagine. I mean, even just in my business, I know we, and fortunately now we do pretty much everything digitally, but you know, reading old well reports and stuff like that. I mean, I think 
just, I mean, any industry, I'm sure could like benefit from it, yeah. you know, quite well being, you know, you're in the technology space. I'm sure you keep up with a lot of it and in the, you may have just answered it, but what's like for you, the most exciting technology trend right now? Mm, yeah. I mean, I guess one of the, you know, blockchain is pretty cool, right? A lot of yeah. people are trying to incorporate that, like, you know, incorporating blockchain to like title transactions, whether it's, ah. you know, real estate right now is kind of a big push, but also in the mineral space, right? Being able to do the full titling via blockchain would be super important because then you can do it online, never have to interact with people, cut out a lot of the costs with, you know, titling companies, lawyers, et cetera, to get wow. it kind of going. But I think blockchain is really cool. You know, obviously the main example are all the cryptocurrencies out there, but yeah. there's a lot of other, you know, cool But it things. can apply to what you guys are doing. Yeah, because in the end, blockchain is pretty much just a ledger, right? So yeah. anything that is transactional that you want to keep track of from one state to another state can be used. Wow. Is there going to be NFTs in that space? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I just say, I mean, that's another buzzword, right? I'm talking yeah. about NFTs, which is actually pretty cool. But all the, like some of the arts that I've been selling, you know, what I saw one the other day, was like $60 million. Oh, sold, it's right? insane, yeah. right? Like, and, and I think it's, I think it's a trend. While I do think NFTs have a lot of potential with like ticket sales mm-hmm. and like, you know, music artists and stuff yeah. like that, I think, you know, and then obviously just artists in general anyway totally separate topic but talking about crypto and blockchain i had to throw nfts in there because <laughs> it's just part of the pool it's it's cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> i definitely bought some engine coin you know which is like okay. uh, an nft like marketplace oh yeah. okay yeah so i bought i had nba top shots i don't know if you know what that is and anyway, i bought some of that and then i bought a pack and then i also bought some garbage pail kids nfts which i don't know if you know what garbage pail kids are but it's old trading cards that were like back in the day it was like I know like, like Star Wars cards are like Pokemon, but yeah, but like so Garbage Pail Kids is they took Cabbage Patch doll, like kind of that theme, but then like made it like the like demonic horror side of Cabbage Patch. So, oh God. yeah, so <laughs> it, it's very odd. Is that what you like? Yeah, I think it's so cool. Like yeah. it's like filthy Fiona and she's like eating spaghetti that looks like hair or just like it's weird but like i love it anyway those are probably you know they're probably pretty valuable because i've never seen one so i'm assuming that if you have a good one yeah one day it'll come backward that's gonna be worth a lot yeah there's one i forget my favorite one it's it's something justin and it's like this dude riding a bike and he i don't know anyway if anyone has the garbage pail kids with justin on it let me know i may buy it from you because <laughs> i cannot find it anywhere anyway so you're but you're not from phoenix originally you're not even from the states you're from belgium right yeah that's right so tell me what i mean what was it like growing up there it was cool i mean so i moved to the states when i was seven but my family's been in belgium i think we did like a genealogical thing all the way back to 1690 and, and before and that person was born within 20 miles of where my grandpa was born so it's like we've always been very hyper local in belgium and uh, we're the first ones to kind of leave Belgium to come to the States. So no way. it was hard, you know, because everything was in French and I was thrown into the American public system at the age of seven in third grade. Like I vividly remember just starting third grade, not knowing a word of English. And of course, you can imagine what the kids made me say. And often I had to go to the principal's office. <laughs> so. <laughs> say this. What? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, parlez-vous uh, français, man? What? Yes, huh? Uh, okay yeah oftentimes i get french and spanish mixed up because now i try and speak spanish but uh, i grew up speaking french yeah. my grandma's from belgium so she is yeah wow sweet y- yeah and i'm like 99.9 percent eastern european which is funny because i forget the gentleman who'd asked if i was french canadian which i'm not because my grandparents migrated from belgium and ukraine and, and that part yeah. of the world and to alberta but i would say probably a good majority of my 
well, all of my ancestors and everything else is from that part of the world. So, you know what I like to say, which I think my wife hates it when I say this now okay. is, you know, Julius Caesar, when he was conquering Gaul, got to the Belgian tribes and he said, you know, of all the tribes in Gaul, the Belgians are the bravest. So, okay. I always use that because Julius Caesar was obviously everyone still knows who he is now. Of course. And yeah. He called the Belgian tribes the bravest. That that way, you know, yeah. people with Belgian can, heritage are just yeah, were strong. Yeah. No, you can wear that as a badge of honor. Yeah, exactly. I like that. I'm going to take that as well because I'm part Belgium. So there you go. Yeah, no, it's cool. I'd never been there and I, I kind of kicked myself in the pants because my grandmother always said, oh, you have to go visit your family and yeah. go, you know, this and that. And, you know, growing up as like a young teenager and I'm like, ah, whatever, like, I don't want to travel. Like, I just want to hang out with my friends here. And now I look back and I'm like, man, I should have taken the opportunity, which I guess I could now. Missed a lot of beer, you know, Belgium's yeah. known for its beer. I know, I know. And I, you know, I'm not a big beer fan, but I have become more of a beer fan over the years. But if I was in Belgium, it's like when in Belgium, I would Chocolates, fries, you know, like, oh yeah. A lot of people call French fries French fries, but really it should be called Belgian fries. You know, there's a big debate <laughs> as to where fries started and the type really? of fries, but I will oh, still maintain that fries were Belgian originally fries. from Belgium because okay. originally in World War II, you know, when the American GIs came over and they had fries and people spoke French, they assumed that it was people from France, so they called them French fries, but it's okay. actually Belgium. Yeah. Do they have poutine over there? No, but okay. Quebec does. That's the first place, right, that I ever had a poutine was Quebec. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we had a golf turn or no, a clay shoot here not too long ago, the old Field Helping Hands golf, or a clay shoot, and we had poutine serving mm-hmm. at there, and so 99% of the people had never had it, and I mean, I was slanging poutine like it was my job, which it kind of technically was my job, but it was awesome like to be able to, and it, we didn't have the cheese curds, it was just mm-hmm. the shredded cheese, and we had brown gravy, which not like the Canadian brown gravy, but it was very similar but it was so awesome. People loved it. So I can't I wait to do that routine. again. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's great, right? It's a load. It's probably not great for you, right? But it's so good. <laughs> well, neither is Tex-Mex and people eat the living crap out of that stuff. So yeah. if you want to switch it up, try some, you get, and I'll explain it. So you got your French fries and then you sprinkle cheese on there, cheese curds, hopefully, yep. and, and let that melt. And then the gravy on top of that lets even more melt. And then if you want to get exotic, you put some ketchup or what I like to do, and I don't know, I just always did this, was I put mayonnaise on and dip really? it in mayonnaise. Oh, buddy. That's the Belgian side of you coming out. Because, oh, you know, yeah. us Belgians love our mayo. We got to put it on everything. I so. could drink it. Mayo and poutine. <laughs> oh, I've never yeah. done that. I might even try that now. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Wow. If you ever go back there, if you next time you try it, it's so good. And so that's what's definitely going to happen on the next event that we do some cooking at. Okay, so you grew up in Belgium. What do you remember most about growing Now, obviously, you were seven, so you may have been. But, I mean, I moved from Calgary to Alberta when I, or to BC when I was five. And I remember some stuff before then. So, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Honestly, the most things I remember were at our house next okay. door. We had, a like, a, a ranch with horses. And oh, wow. the horses would jump over the fence and come run after me. So, I have a vivid... I'm terrified of horses now because no of when I was, my mom had to run out there and grab them. I mean, you're a little six-year-old, seven-year-old kid and a massive horse comes running at oh, you. Oh, that's so. like getting chased by a dinosaur. Yeah. I mean, wow. it, it's terrifying. But now my mom has five horses. So I'm like, I think I'm getting used to them, but I have oh, really? I, some, it's a little bit hard for me to get close <laughs> to them. But where, did, where does your mom live? She lives in Fort Collins. Oh, uh, just Colorado? North of Denver. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, because I, I lived in Denver and that rung a bell. So interesting. Okay. So... But when you move, so when you moved to the States, where did you move to? So we moved to Midland, Michigan, not Midland, Texas, which, you know, growing up, I thought Midland, Michigan was the only one, but now I come to find the Midland, Texas is probably more known than Midland, Michigan. Probably so, which explains why you went to Michigan, right? Probably. Ah, okay. Okay. So we actually, I lived in Michigan for a while and then we moved to Japan. And so I finished high school in Japan and then came back 
for school in Ann Arbor. Okay, because on your LinkedIn it said something about Japan or American school in Japan. Yeah, so something? I graduated from ASIJ, the American school in Japan. No uh, way. That was awesome. Unfortunately, like when we moved there, I just finished my senior year, but we were there for four years, so my siblings got to do a lot longer than I did. But oh. it's awesome. My dad lives in Japan right now too, so it's no it's way. it's fun. I, do you speak Japanese? Not as well as Do you I say anything? Should. Yeah, like you know, watashi no namaiwa eriotto desu. Like, my name is Elliot, you know? Wow, yeah. that was pretty good. Just very basic stuff, right? Stuff yeah. I learned in high school and then never used again. So. Okay. So, uh, a good friend of mine, Evan Otten, which I actually had on my podcast, he's Canadian, and him and his boys took a trip to Japan, like a last minute, just snow, a snowboard trip. And he said it was amazing. So, I have never been, but do you yeah. like Japan? I love it, yeah. yeah. I mean, I... There's something about the culture and like kind of, you know, I was 16 when we moved there. So it's kind of ingrained in my mind as like a younger kid. And yeah, it's I love the culture, the food. You know, there are some things about it. Right. But in general, I really like it. Yeah. No kidding. Do you often go back? So now that my dad lives there, probably about once a year or so. Sweet. But yeah, I mean, it's a long trip, you know, it, yeah. but with COVID and all that and it's been it's tough. Yeah. Do you snowboard or ski or anything? I'm a big skier. Yeah. Yeah. So like. You know, in Japan, like obviously there's like Hokkaido and then like Nagano, like kind of inside are great. Yes. I heard areas. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mountain. Oh, you I snowboard? Ski? Yeah, I grew up. So growing up in British Columbia, I grew up on a snowboard. Whistler, Blackcomb. So I never did Whistler, Blackcomb. So more locally is Big White and yeah. Silver Star, which is in the Okanagan Valley. So not quite the scale of Whistler, but, you know, beautiful Rocky Mountain stuff. Yeah. So yeah. That area in Canada is yeah, I miss it. Again, kind of growing up, you take things for granted. And now I look back and if there was oil and gas in the Okanagan, I would definitely be there, which there definitely is not. <laughs> they don't like that stuff. So anyway, I mean, that's I mean, it's funny because that's why I got into oil and gas was to eventually get back to British Columbia. Because if you live in BC, and especially the Okanagan, you want to have the toys, you want to have the boats, the four wheelers, the skidoos, all that stuff that you would do in the mountains and on fresh water. But in order to do that, it costs money. And there's not much to do with regards to careers there unless you know you make good money whether it be doctor lawyer and or you know you have a business that does very well but most of people in alberta come and you know build houses on the lake and stuff like that because you know they're the ones well maybe not lately but typically would make a lot of money right but anyway no that's cool man japan i would love to go i've never had the opportunity but sounds like you've made your rounds which is neat what does your dad do over there he works for a chemical company. Yeah. No so way. he's always worked for chemical companies and Okay. Yeah, it's cool. Very good. So let's so you went to Michigan and so you should basically looking at your LinkedIn should be like a rocket scientist. Because yeah. you did aeronautical engineering and like super high tech master stuff. So tell me about that. How was that? Yeah, so I did my undergraduate and masters in aerospace engineering. Jeez, and specifically man. kind of in the fluid dynamics side. So you can imagine there's oh. like kind of structures, you know, like actually building like the structures and kind of testing that then there's the gas dynamics portion which is more involved in like you know propulsion and how like wings are affected by their design and kind of the flow over the wings and stuff so i kind of focused more on that did you know i i did well enough that i got to go through a cool program where like my senior year was kind of my master's year as well so i did all of it in five years but Specifically, my master's kind of focused on like computational fluid dynamics stuff. So like, you know, building softwares to help simulate, you know, flow over wings. So you can imagine like in the old days and even still now, Boeing would have to like actually make real kind of small miniature copies, put them in wind tunnels and kind of test a bunch of stuff in wind tunnels. But with 
computers now and all that, like a lot of people are trying to shift to simulation based kind of answers because it's so much cheaper and easier and you can run a ton of simulations versus having to redesign like an airfoil every yeah. time and stick it back in the wind tunnel. And yeah, so I focused on that, which is kind of where I got my start in like coding and how it led to, you know, what I'm doing now. But had you always been like, obviously in order to go through that type of education, I'm sure you probably have, you're pretty studious and were you always into like engineering and like very science based stuff or? Yeah. So my dad's a chemical engineer and actually all of my Apart from my sister, there's four of us. We're all engineers too. Oh wow! My brother is also chemical. My other brother is a computer engineer, and then super smart family man. I don't know, but we just <laughs> we really always loved kind of science and math and engineering type stuff. But Good for you, I'm also a pilot, so that's kind of while doing like aerospace engineering. I love I've always loved planes, so I got my pilot's license and I got my instruments, you know, rating for flying through clouds and things and. So I've always really loved flying too. No kidding. That is neat. Do you, do you fly quite a bit now? Do you have a plane? Yeah. So we have a, a little Diamond Star. So it's like the Air Force used to use them for trainers. So it's like a four-seater kind of trainer plane. It doesn't go super far, but it's, you know, low wing versus a lot of Cessnas are right high wings. But no yeah, we have it in Santa Barbara. My dad's also a pilot. So, you know, like to fly together. Good for you. That's yeah. so cool. You get to play golf with your dad and fly to different golf courses. Man, living the life. I like that. <laughs> A lot of work in between. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man, obviously. So I noticed you started, or well, you have two companies with the same logo. Can you describe? So obviously, we're here to talk about Royalty yeah. Advocate, but there's another one. Yeah, so Kirsten Dynamics, this was kind of when we started our company, we had more of the intention of like having a company and then a brand, right? Like Royalty okay. Advocate would be like a branded product of Kirsten Dynamics, but uh-huh. kind of that was a little bit more service-oriented company that we kind of did, but... You know, at one point we decided to switch to more of a full kind of SaaS platform because we decided that, you know, part of our goal was to help kind of, we want to democratize the mineral management space and allow really anyone from huge enterprises to mom and pops with one or two wells to be able to manage everything. So okay, we made the decision to kind of move away from service oriented to building a full SaaS platform that allows everyone kind of in that whole spectrum to manage their minerals. And that's when we made like the official switch to Royalty Advocate as the company and the brand and everything. So Cursed Dynamics isn't really kind of around. Anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So what did you do before Royalty Advocate? So I worked at a company called Newsil in close to Santa Barbara, making a, I was a process engineer making silicone for no a lot of raw materials that would go eventually into breast implants and things like that. No way. Yeah. Interesting. And so is that what you did right out of college yeah so i graduated and went out to california as a process engineer doing that type of stuff i've very cool i did aerospace engineering but to this day i've yet to do it professionally right really i did five years undergrad masters and then i did went from that to more like chemical engineering and then plants yeah and now to more like computer science man that's a pretty interesting trajectory there (laughs) that's i mean what i like to say with engineering degrees is like it's great for your profession, but it teaches you a lot of skills to kind of understand and be able to go into other kind yeah. of industries. No kidding. So do you miss being sort of involved with sort of the like aerospace type stuff? Not particularly. I honestly really love what I'm doing now. Like I love coding and programming because I'm yeah. kind of, I'm the core backend developer for our company right now as well. So I really just enjoy kind of the problem solving, you know, like aerospace was especially with like computational fluid dynamics, it's kind of the same thing, right? Coding and, and coming up with good ways to solve kind of like the Navier-Stokes equation. Now, 
I'm solving puzzles in different ways by writing, you know, code for our mental management platform. Makes sense. So how did you decide or what made you decide? I mean, because you guys started in 2016, is that right? Or, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, that was one of the, for a lot of folks, that was one of the biggest downturns, you know, of recent time. Starting a company at that time, I would imagine was pretty tough. But what made you decide, okay, now is the time. Were you scratching your own itch or did you see an opportunity or yeah, how so would you describe that? My co-founder, Jarrett, his family, like I described, you know, he grew up in Odessa and they've okay. been big, you know, mineral owners in West Texas for four generations. So mm-hmm. they, you know, had trouble managing their minerals like with modern tools. So Jared saw kind of a need there with his own family stuff to help develop products and platforms that help managing minerals, you know, more efficiently. And so he asked me if I wanted to jump on board and Jared and I go way back. We met first day on the bus at Michigan and we've always had, you know, this desire to create companies together and do all that. So he had this idea and, you know, told me about it. I was like, you know what, let's do it. So I quit my job and that's how I ended up in Scottsdale because they were already there and they had a little office there. So move there. No way. Yeah. That's cool. So how would you describe like, what would be a general scope of work that Royalty Advocate does? Yeah. So Royalty Advocate is essentially a middle management platform, right? So we try to incorporate a lot of technology and tools to help anyone who owns any sort of minerals. Again, from like, if you have a small interest in a little well, you own interest in a ton of wells to help manage kind of that whole scope of work. So from nice you know, auditing all your payments to making sure you're getting paid correctly to auditing that against like state reported data to making sure all your documents, which is kind of the conversation we had before, like your, all your leases, your deeds, your division orders, whatever documentation you have is in the system to have like a a system of record, but also to help incorporate all that into kind of the whole ecosystem of mineral management and make it a much more dynamic system versus having to like have a very static view of everything you're doing and like, you know, log on to this website, log on to this, like see how this well is doing at this point. So hmm. we kind of use a lot of kind of call it like a spider web, right? To like grab all these different facets of middle management and put them together so that it's very easy for you to know what's happening with your, your minerals. Wow. So how would like traditionally, or if someone's not using your platform, how would yeah. they do that? So it used to be a lot of paper filing cabinets and either completely in your head or, you know, Excel once that came out. But, you know, certain items like, you know, figuring out whether your interest is correct on a well by a division order you received, you know, you'd have to go through all your filing cabinets, find all your deeds, find how I got from, you know, wh- whether you bought it or whether you inherited it, yeah. how it came down through all that, put it all together just to calculate a final interest. Now, You know, that could take anywhere from a few hours to a few days to however long, depending where the documents are. With our system, by putting all that together, you know, it takes seconds. And again, by the fact that it's dynamic, as you add more data, it helps kind of bring all these things together to make a lot of things like that, like managing it by paper and creating these massive Excel files that you're constantly like adding data to (laughs) kind of. Right. It's kind of the, you know, taking paper and transforming it to kind of a digital system. Interesting. So through COVID and obviously, you know, downturn, economic downfall, did that affect you guys much or how did you navigate that? Yeah, COVID, you know, definitely was interesting because we were raising around at the same time. So we, Ah. you know, hit a point where we decided that, you know, the platform is great. It's got a good foundation, but we need more money to be able to kind of achieve all these other things we're doing. So we spent a lot of that year essentially talking to VCs and different investment funds to eventually raise around. But we also released our beta in March and our full kind of version 1.0 in June. So obviously it wasn't fantastic timing, right? With everything <laughs> happening and yeah. where old prices went and all that. But 
again, you know, it's it's a blip, and hopefully, mm-hmm. as time goes on, it'll you know it already is coming back and everything. So That's it's right. as long as you can make it through kind of the tough times, which for us we were lucky enough that like we were you know, pre-revenue. So we had, you know, money for X amount of time, yeah. no matter what happened in the outside world yeah. really helped out. No kidding. Well, I feel like if most few people that could survive COVID, you know, from a business perspective made out the other side, you're probably positioned quite nicely now. Yeah. And so, so for you, so talk a little bit about that. You, you, earlier before we got recording, you said you just finished closing on a deal, right? Yep. So we raised a series A, $3 million through B29 Merit Advisors. So wow, congrats. Um, Really awesome, honestly, because we, it's a really good strategic investment as well, because Merit Advisors does a lot of property tax management. And that's a whole part of the system that we never really had was Ah. this whole, you know, how does tax incorporate into your minerals? So your 1099s, your ad florum, your appraisals, all that. And Merit is, you know, kind of one of the leading companies in helping reduce property tax costs and kind of all this. And they just, they've known that side of the mineral business for so long that, and then they're one of the B29 portfolio companies. So it's been a really cool, really cool partnership. And they've all been really great guys. And no kidding. Yeah, that's neat. So could you describe and and for a lot of the listeners out there who may not be familiar with how startups, you know, start and they raise money and they go series ABC or whatever, how many letters it goes (laughs) to like very just high level explain what that means. Like as a company like yourself, when you say raise it and then get series A, like how, how does that kind of all work? Yeah. So typically, you know, and this is constantly shifting, you know, now it's like the, the number you get for each one kind of moves. But initially, it was kind of like pre-seed, seed, series A, and then BC, et cetera. It's so like pre-seed is like, you might not have a prototype, you might not have a concept, and you raise like, you know, 100 to 300K, for instance. Okay. Once you got kind of a prototype bill, you might go and raise a seed round, which is, you know, high hundreds of thousands, low millions. And then the series A is typically kind of your first really big round where you kind of have maybe a little bit of a foundational product. You might not because, you know, if something is just that fantastic, some people just throw a lot of money without even having a product yet. But yeah, essentially you raise that money to help build engineering teams, build sales team, kind of the first big round of money to kind of take your company from, you know, kind of a foundational prototype level to more of a like in the marketplace and starting to get market share. So interesting. Okay. It's definitely a process. I mean, it takes, they tell you, you know, a, make sure you have six months worth of runway when you start the process because it takes forever. And I mean, I can tell you that like it took, it takes constant, you know, networking and talking and just a lot, a lot of time Mm. and a lot of contact, you know, you have to reach out to all your friends and everyone like, Hey, do you know anyone who'd be interested? Do you know any, you know, investors, VCs, et cetera. So, I mean, we talked to, you know, hundreds of people. I can imagine. And I mean, it's very common, like even, you know, like Dropbox and people, you know, they get passed on a lot and then eventually someone kind of picks them up. But it's very common to start with, you know, a lot of people dwindle it down to a few and then eventually get to like one or two that are super interested and will make an offer. But wow. So that was kind of like our process. And but it takes a lot of grit, a lot of time and honestly, a lot of luck. So yeah, well, and, and doing like you said, you know, networking, getting out there and you know, spreading the good word and, and basically selling the company, right? Yeah. Like on here's here's why we think, you know, this is going to take off and be valuable. And here's why it's going to be a good investment for you. And yeah. I can imagine that'd be pretty challenging. What was the hardest part? If there's anything specific, like when you really like maybe at one point, like looked in the mirror and you're like, this is just like, I don't know what to do. And, and you, you, you obviously just made it through and you pushed. But does anything come to mind, like any hurdle that you overcame that was kind of like, wow, I can't believe we did this? Well, I mean, raising the round, right, was the biggest, like, my awesome, like, that's 
can't believe we did it. Like, yeah. this is great. Like someone bought into our vision and like, we really have all these things we want to do, but you know, you get a ton of rejections. So, you know, at some points you're just like, God, is what I'm doing really worth it? Right. Yeah. Is it really right. like, do, do people just not believe in what I'm doing? But all it takes is that one who believes in you and, you know, you look at a lot of the, you know, unicorn companies and all that. Most of them went through that route too. You know, a lot of them got huge rejections and finally someone came through and now look where they are. So yeah, you just definitely have to, you know, be capable of getting a lot of those. I bet. Because you get a lot. Yeah. No kidding. And so, also like oil and gas, right? Like if, you know, we talk to a lot of non-energy VCs and, okay. you know, renewables obviously is a lot more yeah. kind of the investment spots, like kind of oil and gas, like where we are in the minerals is not either something that's super known outside of kind of the oil and gas space or just something that a lot of like more renewable oriented VCs want to invest in at the moment. Interesting. Okay. So do you, and that was actually gonna be my next question is, do you see yourselves in the future diversifying away from oil and gas or just adding other industries onto your platform? Is, is there potential for yep. other industries? Yeah. So we, you know, oil and gas is where we started. We have a lot of background in that through Jared's family and through our investors and all that. But, you know, there's a ton of room to grow into other verticals like solar and wind and yeah hydroelectric and even just like you know core minerals not just like oil gas and that type of stuff but actual like mining because in the end you know our platform helps manage assets right so what's a big asset management platform so whether the asset is a mineral right or you know rights in solar farms or wind it kind of works the same way and yeah so we're, we're looking into avenues to expand we're now very focused oil and gas but we'd love to, you know, jump to the renewable space at one point. Yeah, I have a good friend of mine who's been in wind for almost his whole career. He's pretty high up at a company. So if it ever comes to that, I can make an introduction. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's out of Denver. So anyway, just thought because it's interesting because now, you know, I mean, to me, if I was a company, I would be focused, you know, on kind of sort of a holistic type approach where it's like, yeah, oil and gas is important. Obviously, there's a lot of money and opportunity in that space. But with companies now, diversifying and the amount of initiatives getting put into renewables and and just overall energy i think it'd be silly for companies just to kind of silo themselves in in oil and gas and and granted there's probably enough business out there to where you could focus on it for 10 years and not have to worry about it but you know if you want to try and take over the world then i think someone has to at least be interested in accepting the fact that renewables is here to stay and why not see if there's opportunity in that space at yeah. some point? And it shouldn't be like a mutually exclusive thing. You know, like oil and gas rocked the industries in the late 1800s, low 1900s up until now. Like mm. it's a crazy, awesome industry that's done so much for the world and like oh, yeah. did so many things. But, you know, you also have to be open to the technology at the time and what that can open up. So like, you yeah. know, solar panels for the longest time had such low efficiencies, you couldn't really ever use them. But you know, now 30%, a little bit higher, like they're starting to be better and wind and all that. But it's, you know, something that I think everyone kind of needs to start looking into and kind of see how that can go. But oil and gas isn't going anywhere, nor does it, you know, have to be demonized like a lot of people think, because there are benefits to it. But there's also, I think, sustainable and, you know, correct, like ESG type, you know, mentalities centered around oil and gas to make it a good steward for the future. Yeah, most definitely. So I guess talking about wind, that's somewhat familiar to you with the, like obviously, cause you did with yeah. your education and talked about like, you're talking about wings and, and again, that's out of my language and lingo, but 
does that interest you at all? Like the, yeah, the science and, and energy conversion behind wind energy? Yeah, I really like it. I think it's a great source. I mean, it's can be a little ugly, right? Because it's just these massive wind farms <laughs> that just kind of stay in or just in front of you. But I think it's a good way. And I think it's the highest renewable now. It's like 26% of all renewables are wind followed by hydroelectric. But yeah, it's very interesting, right? It's the same concept. It's an aileron, right? Just like you know you have an air four like you have on a plane and yeah you know spins generates electricity but i think it's a super super useful way of kind of getting what you know nature provides and using it for human needs yeah no kidding no i, I figured just because like the wing concept and wind and energy and all that stuff i figured you'd be quite familiar with what goes and on in college i worked for a little club that helped build drones to like monitor Huh. wind farms and now they actually have a full-fledged company and everything that i think is doing super well where they provide like automated drones to like inspect uh-huh. wind farms and like Good the call. netherlands and other places which is really cool no kidding yeah. huh fascinating drones are taking off like yeah. crazy oh yeah and especially like you said like monitoring i mean even in oil and gas you know on drilling rigs or even monitoring pipelines mm-hmm. like methane emissions stuff like that like shoot drones are here to, again like taking over and then i heard is it not taco bell there's some who was it? I was listening to a podcast called Snacks Daily, and they were talking about drones taking, doing like food deliveries. Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of been a topic of discussion. And I don't know, if, I think conceptually it's it's pretty well known, but I don't know if anyone's actually doing it, but it's getting closer and closer. So to see a drone drop off some To some order food. from Amazon and have it just drop off on your yeah. door. Yeah, no, that would be pretty fascinating. Yeah, but, like talking about tech, like, you know, drones are another one of those things that are just incredibly useful and awesome to work with because they have so many you can use them like you know like i was talking about with the wind farm before but also in oil and gas to monitor things like especially when they're automated with computer vision Mm -hmm. you know being able to actually pinpoint kind of different things that maybe you want to program like you know cracks or breakdowns or things breaking apart but yeah kind of using computer vision intermixed with drones with machine learning and kind of automating that whole workflow where they leave and they go for the day and then send back to data sources and then help analyze parts that to make quick decisions so you can get an alert right away like hey go check this out it's broken wow Uh, there's so much potential and all that stuff it's fascinating so before again we we were talking a little bit about it before we got recording but there's something else that royalty advocate that you guys are doing that's somewhat new why don't you highlight that because it was pretty neat so we're working on a you know part of royalty advocate was is mineral management, right? And a huge portion of that is getting data for people's, you know, revenue statements. So like when they get paid out, you know, on their wells, getting all that data and parsing it and auditing. So a huge portion with that is being able to grab that data. And, you know, we're big believers now, especially in the 21st century, that data is everywhere and you need data to make business decisions. So you need easy access to data and you needed to be not cost prohibitive. So one of our new initiatives is a revenue exchange that allows for owners to get all of their data at a much quicker and you know easier option that then automatically integrates back into Royalty Advocate for middle management. So uh-huh. you know, in the philosophy that the data is yours and you should have it to be able to make good business decisions versus in the past where like storing data was super expensive and accessing data like there were some true costs to it nowadays with you know amazon azure google all that there's not that much cost associated with maintaining data so Hmm. really believing in providing data to people to make good decisions so our revenue exchange we're working now with operators to get them to give us you know data about the payments to the royalty owners and then making it very easily accessible for any royalty owner to come in and grab that data and 
either incorporate into Royalty Advocate or just download it for their own use to do whatever they want. But so that's been really great. That's, you know, Julie Royce came on board. We were working with her before we closed around, but when we closed, she came on board full time and awesome. she's been kind of leading that initiatives, like talking to a lot of operators and, you know, it's been very successful thus far. A lot of people are interested and yeah. see the point of that. And yeah. if anything for operators, it's an easy way for their royalty owners to get access to their data because you know, PDFs are usually free, but like downloading CSVs and stuff are pretty expensive per check. So we're oh. alleviating that. So wow. effectively creating a new revenue exchange with operators on board to help kind of making data more easily accessible. Well, and that's the thing too. And it's not even in your space, but in every space. I mean, I feel like if you're a consumer, you should have access to the data that you're basically creating yeah. by doing whether whatever it is. But like data transparency and visibility with anything like let's just say, you know, electricity, for instance, like there's no reason that, you know, your utility provider can't give you like a detailed breakdown of like your daily consumption, seeing like patterns like it'd be cool to open up an app and seeing like, am I using above or below average amount of electricity or, you know, my fridge or whatever, like kind of being able to make calculated decisions or at least data driven decisions or in just having that information as a you know, peace of mind, knowing that you're not getting taken advantage of, or there's no error. Cause I would imagine like little amounts of error over time can equal thousands, if yeah. not and millions of dollars. Kind of the biggest thing, right? One of the biggest problems in owning minerals is am I getting paid correctly? And am I getting paid on everything I should be getting paid on? Yeah. And if you have a hard time accessing the data to audit, then how, how do, you, do you prove it? Yeah. Right. So we're trying to kind of solve that step by making the data easily accessible. So then auditing all your payments and the wells you're getting paid on become easier. Cause right now, you know, trying to do that requires you to download data at a kind of cost prohibitive pricing model and okay. it, it makes it tough. So we're trying to open that up so that you can do that and find errors and fraud and whatever, what have you in any of your payments and kind of solve that problem. But right now, like the first part of that problem is a, a huge problem for a lot of people just getting that data to no even kidding. be able to start those audits. Wow. Good for you. That is super cool. So, I mean, kind of looking ahead, if you had a crystal ball, what what does Royalty Advocate look like in, say, 10 years? Like, what is the ultimate vision <laughs> that you've been preaching, obviously, to make this all happen? I mean, one thing that I say, which is way too far-fetched now, is I'd love to, when we eventually go to Mars, have Royalty Advocate be, like, the energy analytics platform that runs, like, all the nuclear fusion reactors on Mars. Yeah, see? No, yeah. shoot for the moon. And in this case, Mars, man. It's yeah. great. I, I mean, we're going it. to Mars, right? <laughs> yeah. Doge to the moon, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome see i love that like it's not like oh you know we hope to be like you know 10x by that time it's like no we're going to mars we're gonna you know that is that's the vision i, I love that. now you know getting from where we are to that point is obviously gonna be a long road but, <laughs> yeah. it's, but it, it's happening but you know eventually that's the goal yep. and i mean there's no reason in the next 20 years 30 years i mean with the way technology is advancing and what we're doing from aviation to spaceships and what all, all that other craziness, which obviously you probably are quite familiar with, that you never know it might happen. Yeah. Then. So I would love for that. So yeah, you know, branding ourselves as a full energy analytics platform that heck yeah provides analytics on Mars to all the energy sources we find there. I love it. Well, I hopefully can watch it and be along for the ride somehow. Yeah. So when it, when that happens, we'll get you back on and you can explain how you did it and you can look back. Like, no, no, I that's, knew we could that's do stressful. It. Now I gotta make sure it happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
we'll set a date now so at least you have like a benchmark date right, by this date 15 years from now okay all right i'm putting that in the calendar i can't yeah. wait it's gonna be exciting i want to go to mars with you then if you do it and you're making just like buku um, money and you don't even know what to do with it all i would like to go to mars okay so. i promise you if we make it to mars in 15 years and we are the analytics platform there and i can afford it we can go to mars together yes i've always wanted to go to space and you know why because when i my first dream that i ever remember as like a, i don't know if i was a child or a baby maybe i was in the womb i don't know but my first dream that i remember is being in a spaceship going into outer space and then like That's looking true. and then looking down at the earth and I'll never forget that dream. And I've since then, I've always wanted to go to outer space. I think that's called foresight, I think. Are you that $28 million like mystery man going with Jeff Bezos? <laughs> I wish I was. It's funny. I saw a meme, actually. It's like most guys get divorced and buy a Corvette. And then Jeff Bezos gets divorced and flies oh, to space. Yeah. yeah. It's like he's so on another level. But I, I, what he's done for just, I mean, for so many people and e-commerce and everything else, I mean, what a what a guy yeah. i just think whatever he's done has just been amazing for society and i mean humanity to, yeah. for lack of a better term but i know we're getting close to the hour here and i don't want to take up more of your time but before we close out i do want to ask i like to ask a little more personal questions just to kind of close out but do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success i mean with all the things you got going on and i mean you're you're flying airplanes you're building platforms you're doing god knows what else probably super fascinating yeah. but is there anything that kind of keeps you daily zoned in just to kind of unplug and yeah. decompress. I mean, I hope this isn't corny or cheesy. No, but, no, nothing uh, is. You know, my wife, like we get along so well and we're such good friends. And honestly, That's like beautiful, you have to that. be able to deconnect from work. Right. And our home life and, you know, we're huge travelers, explorers, adventurers. We, she's yeah. from Mexico. So she moved ah. to say she was 12. So we have like similar backgrounds, but yeah, we just connect so well that honestly it's like whatever happened at work like i just we love spending time and that's it, your outlet is your wife yeah. i mean yeah, that's yeah. no that is so so i guess the answer is spending time, quality time yeah. with your wife is that which we both your, really appreciate like it's, yes because she works super hard too and but we okay uh, i don't know what does she do she works for pepsi oh wow yeah works super hard okay it's, what does she do there so she's what's called like a key account manager so she manages uh, kind of the pepsi like actually Pepsi business for certain stores. So she manages like a whole slew of stores in the Arizona kind of Southwest area. So, so when you guys see cans or anything Coke related, is it just like grind your gears? Yeah. You know, it's oh, gotten yeah. to the point that when I see a Pepsi truck, I like salute it now. On the road. <laughs> it's really bad. I've been totally brainwashed and I'm not a soda drinker. Like I don't. Yeah. Neither am I. But if my wife worked for Pepsi, then I would like totally do everything I could to, I don't know, stop Coke from being successful. <laughs> But, you know, they're, they're a great company. Like everyone I've met that she works with, they're just really, really smart and good at what they do. So, no kidding. But yeah, seeing Coke around now is kind of like, hmm. My God, yeah, that's the big. You know what Cristiano Ronaldo did? And I don't know if you watched the Euros or anything soccer related. No, but he, what like, happened? You know, he took, there's two Coke bottles in front of him and he like purposely, and Coke's a huge sponsor of the Euros, and he took them out of the camera no and he put water and he said, you know, agua. No way. And I Coke, like that. Coke market share dropped $5 billion after that. What? Yeah. From their stock price dropping? No kidding. Yep. But the funny thing is, it would be funny if, because obviously Coke owns different water companies. It'd be funny yeah, if like he... Dasani's yeah, like it'd be funny yeah. if you put a Dasani there. It'd be like, oh, well, it's actually still Coke. So, But I can appreciate that. Like I'm very into health and, and fitness and just that kind of stuff. So I can appreciate his position on that. Yeah. 
and I would imagine that was why it's like, no, like I want to support like water, yeah. not Coke. Cause if I drink Coke, I probably have a seizure on the field and <laughs> die of dehydration. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of you know, the Cokes and the Pepsis are really coming out with cool, different kind of water related, healthier options. Yeah. It's no, a big it, push, which is awesome. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, they're a corporation and their whole point in being businesses value creation for shareholders. So if they were to like get away from their core, like pop yeah. or Coke and whatever, like obviously that'd be detrimental, but to, I mean, obviously adapt to the market and everyone's, you know, healthy and, or trying to be healthier, this and that. So having those options is nice, but that's really neat that your, your wife works for Pepsi and who knows, maybe she one day will run the show. Sounds like she works hard enough. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> right? I think she definitely has <laughs> everything in her to make that happen. So nice. No, I, I like to hear that. You know, like you said, one of their biggest things is just hanging out with wife. That's that's special. We're, just, we're really good friends. And I feel I've yeah. heard you say before on the podcast, you know, how important family is. You have your wife and your kids. And 100%, man. You know, life isn't all meant to be working, right? Like you have, in the end, we're humans and we live a life, right? Like you got to have love and you got to do the things that are important to you. Everything 100%. else doesn't matter. Yeah, it, you're right. And and at the end of the day too, I find that when you do have that like support and that that healthy system at home with your family and whether if it's just husband and wife or friends or whatever, kids, but but having a healthy home life makes everything else yeah. so much better. It's I mean, if I wouldn't be where I'm at without my wife's support and if if she constantly kind of drug me down or stressed me out, I wouldn't be able to perform at work, but I can go to work knowing in the back of my mind, like my family stuff is taken care of. And I mean, my happiness is not predicated on a paycheck or what I do at work. It's making sure my wife and kids are happy. If they're happy, then I feel like I've got the world by the tail and I can bring that energy into work and the rest of it just kind of takes care of itself. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So I think you could probably identify with that. Yeah. I don't know if you watch Parks and Rec at all, you know, the show. I have here and there, but not like religiously. At one point, one of the guys, you know, Jerry's like, you know, they asked him, why didn't you never achieve more? You just worked at a government thing your whole life. And, you know, he goes to his house and he shows like a picture of his family. He's like, well, you know, I got to spend so much great time with them and we did so many trips. And in the end, that's what matters. And I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I love it. You know, because, you know, I, I project, you know, 50, 60, however many years it is till I'm on my deathbed. And I'll never I look back be and be like, that. me I think, too. I think you'll live to at least 200. Well, like I'm that. banking on at least 150. I think with it, like modern medicine and just what I do to take care of myself, if I break, if I don't break 150, I'll be pretty. Are I'll you be, like taking NMN or NR supplements or? No, but eventually I will for sure. Yeah. Like I'm definitely into trying to extend my life because I want to see my kids, 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 you know yeah. what I mean? And like play with them. I think that'd be amazing to see like multiple generations and still be like cognitively there to be able to do that. Do you listen to like David Sinclair at all? Like he's, uh, a he's little been bit. on a lot of podcasts recently. And stuff. I've it's heard. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that stuff. I mean, shoot that spend hours talking about that stuff, but I say that to say, you know, at, at whatever point we're on our deathbed, we're never going to look back. Like, we should have worked harder and we should have made you know more money. It's going to be like, should have spent more time with my family. And it's cliche to say that, but time goes way too fast for you to not at least, because you can't replace time with money. Absolutely. You know, so I think that's a great way to close out. But I do want to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN. And here are the events on deck for August 2021. This month we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on August 26th. Our July happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the last one, we hope to see you there this month. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts, 
network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Other than OGGN's events, we have three in-person events and one hybrid in-person and online event. First up, we have our three in-person events. The first being OTC, or the Offshore Technology Conference, at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, from August 16th to the 19th. Next, we have the IPAA Leaders in Industry Luncheon at the Petroleum Club of Houston on August 17th. And lastly, we have the 2021 Connected Plant Conference at the Renaissance Hotel in Austin, Texas, from August 30th to September 2nd. Other than our three in-person events, we have our hybrid event, which is NAEP, or the North American Prospect Expo. Now this summit is a hybrid event because it's both online and in-person. The in-person portion of the event will be from August 18th to the 20th at the George R. Brown Convention Center, while the online portion of the event is from August 9th to September 3rd. If you have any questions about these events or any podcasts within the Oil & Gas Global Network, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for August. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Awesome. Thank you. And I'm going to switch it up a little bit this week. Normally I talk about the hack and whack hockey, but I'm going to switch it up. And this idea came from when I had Riley Norris on the show, but we'd love to start a biweekly basketball game. So if anyone in the Houston area has access to a basketball court or is interested in setting up a biweekly basketball kind of just pick up game, let me know because I'd love to do that. I grew up playing basketball and I miss it. So if anyone out there wants to do it with me and Riley, let me know. Elliot, it's been an absolute pleasure. This hour flew by and I think we just scratched the surface, but I can't wait for round two, which I mean, maybe we could do it sooner, but if not, for sure in 15 years. We'll put it on the books. Yeah, exactly right. If people are interested in Royalty Advocate to get to know more about you know what you guys have to offer or even just to ask you some questions, what's the best way to reach out? You know, you can either call us or email us. So, okay. you know. I can put a link in the show notes. So, I'll, you know, any link that you have that would be good. I can put your you know, LinkedIn, website, whatever the case, email, put that in there for yep. you. So, cool. Well, again, thank you so much. Safe travels back to, when are you heading back? Friday. We're going to Dallas tonight, actually. Oh, nice. Okay. We're having some barbecue tomorrow. Oh, buddy. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. What's, what's the best food in, like, if, if I was to go to a Scottsdale, where's yeah. the best restaurant to go to? Oof, that's... It's a tough one. There's there actually a lot of really good, surprisingly, a lot of really good restaurants. Depends kind of what type of food you like. Like, you know, if you like more like sushi or seafood or steaks, like okay. if you like steaks, like Dominic's Steakhouse. Dominic's awesome. Steakhouse. Okay. I love sushi. So what would be the best sushi spot? Oh man, there's, so we went to one called Across the Pond. That was honestly like, you know, I live in Japan and everything like. Ah, nigiri. yeah. So you know good sushi. Their nigiri was phenomenal. Probably the best I've had in the entire US. What? The only downside is, you know, they only have one sushi chef now, so it took like two and a half hours. It was really slow going, but Whoa. amazing. Like their fish, they, uh, I don't even know. They, wow. they fly it every day. They super selective on quality. They probably pay a lot. It is kind of expensive, but yeah. Yeah. But, but talk the to best, the best nigiri I've had in the US for sure. Well, I have never had anyone actually physically drool on my podcast and you're the first one. So it's obviously oh, good. <laughs> I definitely drooled when I was eating it too. So yeah. it was one of those like cathartic moments where you're just like, wow. Wow. No, that's fascinating because good sushi is like, there's good sushi and then there's great sushi. And I think there's a pretty big gap yeah, there. Absolutely. So uh, cool. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Next time I'm there, hopefully I do get to go soon, then I'll be there. And everyone out there, thanks again for the support. If you could, please leave a review, subscribe, or hit me up on LinkedIn if you want to chat or if you have a good idea for a show. I'm always open to chat. And always remember, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.